Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am very ready. I'm very excited to see who you've come up with this week. All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay, and also, once again, we want to thank all of our listeners for being so wonderful and so dedicated. I love it when I get messages and people send me something that says, Charlie Manson, exclamation point, exclamation point, and that makes me feel really good. Uh, Yes, uh, uh, at the time that we're recording this, uh, that was the uh, last one that was released, and that was an extra special treat. Uh, That was one of our first test episodes, and uh, thought that everyone in the uh, listening audience would enjoy listening to that. Uh, So, and yes, thank you all so much for uh, all of your downloads, all the support, all the messages we get in. Um, It is uh, really great. This is a a fun little uh, uh, experiment that we're doing and knowing that it's being listened to uh, by so many of our friends and then so many people that uh, we may not know personally, but they're our friends anyway, um, is really great. Uh, And, uh, you know, for those of you, if this is your first episode of History and Retrograde, welcome. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit of how we do things around here. Uh, So, uh, in a moment, I will give my mother the astrological birth data of a random historical figure. Uh, Now, you, the listening audience, already know who this historical figure is. It is in the title of today's podcast. I, of course, know who it is because I selected this person. But Mom has no idea who this person could be. In a moment, I will give her the data necessary to create an astrological birth chart. That is the birth date time, and location of our mystery history guest. She will then input that information into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that person was born. 
Uh, she will then do her best uh, to give us a, a blind reading of the chart, telling us uh, what all of the placement of those stars meant for the personality traits, characteristics, uh, fortunes of that person. Uh, I will then reveal to her who our mystery history guest is, give a little background about the person, and then uh, we will analyze together how accurate the chart was at predicting who that person would be. Uh, so without any further ado, let us begin. Yes, let's go. Uh, this is a female. All right. Born on the 20th uh-huh. of May. Okay. Mm-hmm. 1768. Oh, my. Uh, do we have to do that thing that no, you do? No, we have not uh, switched uh, to the Gregorian calendar. This <laughs> okay. Is, I believe well within... Uh, or it is within the Gregorian calendar. <laughs> uh, okay. The, we do have, I was able to find a time on this one. Again, don't know how exactly accurate it is, but uh, 3.45 a.m. Okay, that's exciting. All right, and where in the world? Uh, the United States, or the what would be later become the United States. <laughs> Okay, and what town? Uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, why am I not getting this to come up? Here we go. Wow. It's up there. It's, yeah. <laughs> down, down, <laughs> there. <laughs> Thank you, Chandler. <laughs> okay. Uh, so again, uh, this is a female born on May 20th, 1768. Hopefully born at 3.45 a.m. Uh, in uh, what would later become the United States, Greensboro, North Carolina. All right. Well, as you can see, Chandler, this is another very interesting chart. Okay. So, interesting. Just kind of going over the high point. And where everything is. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. So, on this chart, I'm going to start with the North Node. Okay. And um, this person has North Node in Capricorn. At 13 degrees, conjunct exactly. Do you see this? With yeah. Pluto. Yeah. In Capricorn. Okay. So, and it's in the ninth house. So, first off, ninth house is ruled by Sagittarius, and Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter. So, ninth house is the house of higher education, um, travel, dogma, religion, uh, religious beliefs, uh, philosophies, um, all of these things. So straight off the bat, 
this person with North Node conjunct Pluto, which is power, right, in the ninth house, I would think that this person would have some interaction with perhaps philosophies or or um, religion. Um, somehow this has, you know, if, if this person is following their north node, then there would be control there because Saturn rules Capricorn and Saturn is control and um, in that ninth house. So let me continue to move around and see what we find. So considering that ninth house and considering that north node, right? And then we have this person has an ascendant in Taurus. So, whew, okay, ascendant in Taurus can be, because Venus rules Taurus. So Taurus people can be very, very, very hard-headed. And sometimes it isn't so much that they're, you know, that they have issues or, or they're very, you know, obstinate, outwardly obstinate. It's just that they tend to get going in a direction and nothing is going to stop them until they get to wherever it was they started out for. They don't even really change their mind along the path. They just go one step in front of the other until they get to that. Also, a person with Taurus rising um, could be, this could be considered a very strong person, you know? I mean, the downside of that or the, not the downside, but the other side of that would be because it's ruled by Venus, they could be, you know, very pretty or very beautiful, very alluring. Um, but the other side is also with that Taurus rising, this could be, you know, a big person. This could be a person who is strong, physically strong, you know. And uh, this person has sun at 29 degrees, Taurus, and Mercury at 13 degrees, Taurus, both in the first house. <sighs> so whenever you have a planet that is at zero or 29 degrees, uh, it's very significant. It adds like more to it. It's like extra. So this person has sun in Taurus at 29 degrees in the first house. So that's almost, you know, it is on the cusp of Gemini, absolutely on the cusp of Gemini. So this person could have Gemini traits, all right? This person could be a talker. This person could be a, uh, a very dynamic speaker of some sort because they have Mercury in the first house, which is communications, and their Mercury is in Taurus. Mercury in Taurus would give them a, a firm handle and grasp on, you know, how they communicate they should be very, um, very like, like if it was an ox, right? Because <laughs> Taurus is a bull, they would communicate with strength. You know what I mean? Uh, that should be the way it is. Um, if we have the birth time right. Okay, so we might, you know, we have to go along with that since this was uh, such an early uh, uh, time. So then second house is Gemini and second house rules, you know, 
uh, belongings and, 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 and finances and uh, things like that. And there's no, there's no planet there, but we have, you know, Gemini rules that house. So uh, it's possible that this person could have some interesting ways of dealing with their finances because Geminis are not necessarily known for being super materialistic. Uh, they can be, but they're not. The Geminis are more cerebral. So, you know, they're more about the experience, like whatever they're experiencing. So maybe this person in, enjoys their the way they make their finances through experiencing things. Um, okay, third house has uh, Saturn in Cancer at two degrees, which is still on the cusp of Gemini. So here we still have, we have Gemini sort of, you know, coming up into the first house because the sun is at 29 degrees, which is right on the cusp. Uh-huh. And then we have that second house of finances uh, with this person kind of, you know, earning their finances and, and treating their finances very mercurially, right? And then we have Saturn in Cancer at only two degrees Cancer. So that comes back into that second house feeling, you know? So somehow this person, although their Saturn is in Cancer, which is very nurturing, uh, learning, uh, Cancers are very intuitive. Cancers are very naturally psychic. Uh, cancers are very healing people. They will feed you. They will, you know, nurture you. They're very nurturing for the most part. And, um, you know, can't the Saturn cancer is ruled by the moon. So it's kind of mothering, right? Uh, learning the lessons of all the cancer things, but also that Gemini stuff in there, which gives it a little bit of kick, you know, a little bit more, uh, excitement. Gemini's can be, <laughs> Gemini's can be, uh, they like a thrill. They like, they like a little bit of thrill. And uh, so now, then we go to the next section, which is fourth house, and uh, she has moon at 23 degrees cancer. So now we have this cancer uh, conjunction by sign, not by degree, okay, because this is only 20, and uh, you need to have an orb of like five by degree. So here we have moon in the fourth house, which is mother, okay, and uh, the moon uh, rules cancer. So here we should have a very nurturing person, or maybe their mother was very nurturing in the home and that this person's home should be like a nurturing place to go. Like people in this person's environment, uh, would feel comfortable and comforted. Um, is any of this making sense so far? Yes. Really? Okay. Oh, I'm always so surprised. Okay. So here also fourth house changes to Leo here. You see this? Mm -hmm. So we only have a few degrees in cancer because we have right here, the first house cusp. And then the second house cusp is Gemini. The third house cusp is actually still Gemini, right? By the way, this works. Okay. So then we have this short peace, even though the third house cusp is cancer, then not too long into that, you know, because this is 23 degrees, we have, uh, it changes to Leo. So here we have a person who is nurturing 
and 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 motherly in the home but also we have this leo on the fourth house and fifth house cusp okay because leo comes in here at the fourth house so we have some leo things in the fourth house so i don't know if this person uh has anything to do with leo things maybe um you know uh, uh could be with having children in the home or taking care of children or um uh writing romance novels or um because leo is also romance and and leo is ruled by the sun and um so leo things leadership somehow in what charge about, of your home uh, nurturing leaders Oh, yeah. I mean, because of this Leo, she could easily nurture leaders. Sure. She would be and and be like serious about it, you know, like a leader in nurturing leaders kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then she has fifth house. OK, her fifth house is. Uh, what am I trying? Virgo. <laughs> my brain just went away for a second sorry about that um brain went what <laughs> and so because i'm looking at the way these house cups are and they're a little bit different right so um fifth house is um it's it starts in leo right because she's got leo coming into the fourth and into the fifth but here she has neptune in the fifth house in Virgo. Say this at four degrees. Interesting because that trine, this Neptune in Virgo trines her four degree Uranus in Taurus in the 12th house. And it also trines this Venus in the 12th house by degree. Oh, I don't normally get into trines, but I just noticed that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because it's trining something in her 12th house. Right. And Neptune is illusion and um, psychic ability and downside can be drug addiction, alcohol addiction um, uh, and pfft, insanity. It can be insanity because it, it can go too far. But her Neptune is in Virgo, which is sort of like uh that that's the opposite well it is literally the opposite because virgo is the opposite of pisces right so um uh her, having neptune in virgo is kind of like uh those don't go together <laughs> like her virgo wants to organize it right like she wants to organize her her creativity she wants her creativity to be organized and and precise and maybe, I mean, she has some interesting ways of uh, creatively, I want to say communication because Virgo is communication, but it's also healing and health, right? So this person could have some interesting ways of, or inventive ways of, of, of healing people or something along that line, but it's in the fifth house, right? So it's children and, um, creativity and, 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 and hobbies. 
and uh, uh, things like that. Also, this third house is also siblings and lower education, like like uh, uh, grade school, that kind of thing, where this person has Saturn there, which could make her like a teacher, could be in Saturn and in Cancer in the third house. So um, something along that line. Then we have Jupiter in Libra in the sixth house. Well, that's always pretty. And Jupiter is ruled by, um, well, Jupiter is, <laughs> never mind, I don't know what's wrong with me today. I know Mercury is direct, so it's not that. But um, my brain just keeps going off in all these really colorful ways, like, ooh, Jupiter and Libra, ooh, it's very pretty. So, okay, uh, six houses work. Okay, and her sixth house, she has Jupiter in Libra in the sixth house. So this is uh, like, huh. wherever Jupiter is, it's more, right? So Jupiter is going to expand whatever it is. And in this case, it's expanding her work in Libra, which can be like a negotiator or, I mean, it could be a lawyer but I doubt that this woman was a lawyer then. But um, somehow uh, her work deals with uh, things that are ruled by Venus. So could be pretty things. It could be, um, it could be a writer, uh, but of pretty, something pretty that she, this is, she has very good luck and fortune with her work. And her work should be uh, something that she likes, you know, something that she enjoys. Okay. She has her seventh house cusp is Scorpio. But she doesn't have any planets in that house. And her eighth house is Sagittarius and she doesn't have any planets in that house. And her ninth house, as we discussed, is this very interesting, intense control direction having to do with philosophy and religion and power there or or some sort of constant upheaval because Pluto is going to be death and rebirth or power or a combination of those, okay? Then her midhaven is 22 degrees Capricorn. So whatever her career was, it's connected to this ninth house, this or whatever, I mean, career a person in this day and age could have had is somehow connected. She's very serious about her philosophies or religion, dogma, unless she's just a world traveler, some sort of explorer, maybe. Um, that's possible. I mean, it's now very rare. Uh, you've, you've said in the past that Pluto takes a very long time uh, mm -hmm. to move. So this, mm -hmm. uh, uh, would this be something that a generation of people would have Pluto in a, in a similar, acting upon them in a similar way? A generation of people would have Pluto in Capricorn, okay, but it wouldn't fall in their ninth house. It only falls in their ninth house if they have Taurus rising. So in this situation, yes, it is very generational because it does take years. We just had... Well, Pluto is in Capricorn right now. And look at the state of things <laughs> because it's about control, politics, 
well, not Pluto, but Capricorn is about control and politics and organized religion. And it's all about control. Um, oh, everyone who is in control of the world, there's a great upheaval happening as we go into Pluto in Aquarius, which is coming up, you know, I want to say 2023. Well, I mean, we, we're very close. We're like at 26, 27 degrees Pluto and Capricorn now. So all this time that Pluto has been going through Capricorn, uh, we've had just all kinds of upheaval in control. And so Pluto in Capricorn is about control. And so this person would have needed control of whatever. Okay. And it, because it, it's, it's control in her direction, right? But it's in the ninth house. So it's philosophies or travel or, you know, something like that. So then her 10th house is Aquarius, but she doesn't have anything in there. But if she had a career, it would be with like technology and futuristic things and, um, uh, like, um, humanitarian issues, um, trying to, you know, help people, you know, the, the public at large, uh, then she has net, she has, uh, Pisces on her 11th house. Okay. And, um, she has Mars conjunct Chiron there by sign, not by degree. So her Mars is at 10 degrees Pisces and her Chiron is at 19 degrees Pisces in the 11th house. So somehow her direction, her drive, her, um, her, 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 the part that goes and gets things, <laughs> which is your Mars and, and the way you display anger and the way you display meeting your goals is in Pisces, which is very, oh, creative and, and, uh, uh, watery and, 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 you know, using your imagination and, um, just really creative that Mars and Pisces would be really creative, but Chiron in Pisces is a healer. Now I natally have Chiron in Pisces. Okay. And it's in my seventh house. So I was researching this recently to find out, you know, how does this work? Because it's a wounded healer. And if you know me, you know, that makes a lot of sense in my seventh house. But in this situation, it's in her 11th house. So she's wanting to heal people, right? Groups of people. And it's, it, it's part of her direction. But also wherever Chiron is, is where you're either super healing or you are awkward. So she could have some awkward issues with reaching her goals to help people. I don't know if any of this makes any sense, but, um, now we get over to this 12th house and we know 12th house is karma and past lives and, um, uh, subconscious and, um, uh, um, your, you know, supernatural abilities as far as psychic abilities, things like that. And she, her 12th house is, um, Aries, right? But she has 
Uranus conjunct Venus in Taurus by degree because it's only two degrees apart. So Uranus at four degrees Taurus and Venus at six degrees Taurus. She has Sun, Mercury, Venus, and Uranus in Taurus. So all of these things that she has in Taurus, and then you add Uranus to that. And Uranus is ruled by, I mean, um, Uranus rules uh, Aquarius. And that's all your technology and your futuristic things. And, and But Uranus is also lightning, right? So it is highly possible that this woman's entire life <laughs> was spent dealing with unexpected things happening to her unexpected things happening to women in her life and it's karmic it is somehow paying back karma is any of this making any sense because i feel like it's this is, i'm going way out there this time i don't know uh yeah i mean that a lot of this is making sense okay so that is all the way through the chart do you have any questions Yeah. Uh, can you tell me a little bit of what her parents might be like? Well, it looks like her mother was should have been very nurturing in the home. Um, she should have been uh, a very nurturing mom and be very home, uh, very, very interested in the home. And even if we went to this Leo part, you know, where uh, it changes to Leo, that would make, you know, all that fifth house, you know, mother, children, that whole thing. Her father, uh, see, she has son in Taurus at 29 degrees. That 29 degrees is always, you know, a degree, uh, of, sorrow. degree of sorrow. So there could be something with that father, you know. But as a Taurus, he could have been very, you know, manly, very, um, very stubborn and set in his ways, you know, but this is her son and her moon. We don't know what her parents were by sign or what their charts were, but you look to the sun for the father, you look to the moon for the mother. So, um, how would men, uh, see her? Well, I would think with her having, um, I mean, her Venus is so close, right? Her ascendant is seven in Taurus and her Venus is right there, right? Which is almost like having Venus in the first house, right? Except she has Venus in the 12th house. I would think on the upside, she was very beautiful, right? And very pretty. Uh, but not, but, you know, because Venus rules Taurus, so Venus is the goddess of love, right? So I would think she was very pretty. But Taurus rising can have like that mountain woman thing where she could just, you know, run, just run a whole team of horses into the middle of a battle and feed everybody or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it could go that way. Either way, Taurus rising, she's going to be stubborn. Okay. And I don't know, a lot of men like stubborn women.
Uh, can you get any sense of whether this would be an introverted or extroverted person? It's... Her Mercury is in the first house. So that is, you know, kind of your communications. I It's in Taurus, so, you know, she could be... I don't think she's an introverted person, but, you know, she does have moon and cancer in the fourth house. It's possible she could be introverted, but she has these other things, you know, in her chart that tell me that, mm, I don't know though, because she's got this Mars and Pisces, which is very creative and that could be contemplative. She's got this moon and cancer, which could make her you know, contemplative and, but man, this Taurus rising, you're not usually shy with that. Mm, it could go either way. Okay. Uh, what kind of man would she be attracted to for a romantic partner? Okay. So whenever we look for that, we look to the Mars in someone's chart. So she actually would not be looking for a man that was super macho you know she would be looking for a man that would be more creative and um probably talented in a way that is like you know piscean talent like a musician or a poet or uh something like that someone who who de who deals more with their mind than than you know their fists or their weapons you know But she does have Chiron there, so I don't know. That could that could I mean, it could change things a little bit. Okay. Um, how would she decorate a house? Ooh, I think her house would be pretty. I think this fourth house, because she's got this Cancer and this Leo there. I would think her house would be very homey and. You know, maybe even kind of showy because she's got some of this Leo here, right? So Leos are not ones to hold back. They they do like uh, some extravagance, you know, some drama. Maybe it's not only nurturing, but a little bit dramatic. Okay. Um... You touched on this a little bit, but I'll ask directly, um, how would she do with finances? Uh, she doesn't have anything in her second house, but she has Gemini on the second house. Now, Gemini is ruled by Mercury, but so is Virgo. Now, if you ask me if she had Virgo here, I'd be like, oh, well, she's very on top of that. She's that's very accurate to to, you know, to the penny, I would say. Geminis are not so, you know, all about the finances. Again, Geminis are more about the experience. They like to experience life. And they're very airy, so they don't necessarily worry a lot about finances. Somehow, everything works out. And uh, so I don't think she would be, I don't think she would be super intense about her finances. Okay. 
Um, how uh, would she handle a social conflict? If friends are not getting along, what would she do? Okay, so we're going to go to the 11th house for that, uh, for groups of people. Uh, if it's individual friends, it would be the 7th house, but it sounds like you're talking about a, a, a group of people or a small group of people even. She should be very creative with that. Now, Pisces people can be really amazingly creative and psychic and all that, but they can have a temper, all right? So it is possible that she, with this Mars here, in a conflict that she could somehow take control of the situation, right? Because she does have Mars there. So she, she could have the power to, you know, step out and say, okay, this is what we're going to do, you know, and, and lend direction to it. It's possible. Where would you find her at a party? At a party. <laughs> I don't know. Part of me thinks she threw the party because <laughs> she's got this Mars in, in, in Pisces there, right? In the 11th house. Um, I, I think, I think that, you know, she's got this Leo on the fourth and she, she's got a lot of things that, that say that she would be a creative, you know, hostess. So I would think she would be kind of, I would think she would be in the middle of the party. Okay. Uh, and what kind of clothes do you think she would wear? Well, Taurus is ruled by Venus. But, like I said, she could either be really pretty and really feminine, right? Uh, because Taurus and Libra are both ruled by Venus. But Taurus, as opposed to Libra... If, he, if she had Libra rising, I would be like, oh my gosh, she's wearing ribbons and ruffles and pastels. You know, she's very pretty, which could also work for Taurus, only maybe a little deeper colors. Maybe not so much the pastels, but maybe deeper colors. But in this situation, this woman with Taurus rising could very well be wearing buckskins. You know, she could be... Either either one because it's Taurus rising. She could be she could come across very strong, very strong minded, very strong willed, you know? Mm. And she's got all these planets in Taurus, man. It's like but she's got that Uranus there that makes everything go bonkers every once in a while. Uh is there anything else about this chart that you haven't uh, talked about already? I'm very interested in this woman. I, I think, you know, she's got this North Node in Pluto and trining all this Taurus by sign, right? And then she's got this Neptune in Virgo trining all that, okay? She has some really interesting aspects. I, I think she's, I think she's super cool. I, I, I hope I'm not wrong, but I, I think she's cool. I think she's somebody I, I would like to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, too. Uh, so, I think we are ready for our uh, summary of our findings. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, so first thing you said uh, was that uh, there's interactions with philosophy or religion. Mm -hmm. uh, Hard-headed, very pretty, beautiful, alluring, uh, talker, dynamic speaker, communicate with strength, interesting ways of dealing with finances, intuitive, nurturing, mother was nurturing, home was a nurturing place to go, taking care of children, possibly nurturing leaders, a leader in nurturing leaders. Uh, wants uh, creativity to be organized. Work deals with pretty things. Luck and fortune with her work. Constant upheaval. Career in helping people. Really creative. Wanting to heal groups of people, that is her direction in life. There could be awkward moments in achieving that goal. A life spent with unexpected things happening to her and happening to women in her life. Mother was very nurturing. Father uh, is somewhat connected to sorrow, uh, could be very stubborn. Uh, she is very beautiful, uh, but could also be more rugged. Uh, she is stubborn, not an introverted person, not looking for a macho man, want a creative, talented man, a pin over the sword, cerebral, works with his mind, kind of a romantic partner. Uh, would have a very pretty house. I uh, would be homey and comfortable, but would be showy, extravagant, and dramatic. Uh, not uh, too worried about finances, not concerned about finances. Uh, very creative, uh, solving social conflicts. Uh, takes control of social situations. Uh, in in a party, she would probably be the one hosting the party. Uh, really pretty, uh, feminine, uh, but would wear uh, strong, bold colors. Uh, not pastels, but could be wearing buckskins. Does that all sound correct? Yeah, it does. I mean, I know it's very, you know, it ha there's a lot of opposing things there, but... When you're dealing with a Taurus woman with all this Taurus, she can go the gamut. So she can fit in anywhere, you know. Now, I also want to say that this third house, this Saturn, at two degrees, um, Cancer. Saturn in, in the third house, could, could there could be some situations with siblings. Something about, because third house is also communication, so it can be some lessons to be learned with um, any of those things that have to do with third house, which is ruled by Gemini, which is communications and, and, and also siblings and, and, uh, you know, so those kind of things, but yes. And, and, and what about, is, what about the siblings? There could be, um, uh, control issues with siblings, uh, because it's Saturn and Saturn is about control, mm -hmm. but it is, uh, it's, it's in cancer, but it's also, you know, early degree cancer. So it's enough to be in the cusp of Gemini. So something along that line could also be the situation. Nurturing, maybe needing to nurture siblings or something like that. Some, some responsibility about siblings, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Uh, would you like to know whose chart you've been reading? Yes, I would like to know. This is the astrological birth chart of Dolly Madison. 
Oh, oh, that's awesome. Oh, okay. I just got chills with that. That's very good. Oh, that's so good. Oh, I can't wait to hear what you have on Dolly Madison. I'm very excited. Uh, so uh, Dolly Madison uh, technically was the fourth first lady of the United States, but uh, many people consider her to be the first first lady of the United States. Uh, she is responsible for setting many of the traditions and really creating the role of what the wife of the president of the United States does. Uh, she was married to uh, James Madison, who is... Uh, the fourth president of the United States. He is also uh, really credited with the being the writer of the Constitution. Uh, it is his <gasps> writing more than anyone else that really uh, uh, made that document. Uh, so Dolly Madison uh, was born uh, Dolly Payne on May 20th, 1768 in North Carolina. Uh, she was uh, born to uh, Mary and John Payne, uh, and Mary came from a Quaker family, and uh, once John married uh, Mary, uh, John converted uh, into uh, the Society of Friends, uh, also known as the Quakers. Um, and even the, it, it, the Quakers were very uh, influential in the early founding of America and uh, uh, very strict in how they would accept people. It actually took a, a number of, of months uh for John to be accepted uh, into the Society of Friends. But once he was, he was a devout Quaker. Um, mm. They lived in sort of a, a strict household. Uh, the Quakers uh, did not believe in having a lot of uh, elegant things, in uh, having a lot of extravagant things. Um and uh, they lived in uh, plantations in North Carolina and in Virginia, and uh, they made their livelihood off of these large farms uh, using enslaved people to do all of the work uh, on these farms. Uh, after the uh, American Revolution, uh, John... Uh, the followed the edicts of the Quaker religion, uh, the Quakers said that slavery was wrong and should be abolished, and so John uh, freed all of his slaves. Uh, they then moved from Virginia to Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia was not only the uh, uh, sort of center of Quaker life, um, but it was really the center of the nation. Uh, Philadelphia was the capital of the new United States of America. Um, and it was the biggest and most prosperous city uh, in this new nation. Uh, so uh, sh Dolly Madison uh, moved there with the family when she was uh, 15 years old. And uh, she experienced Philadelphia through Quaker eyes, but was already uh, turning her head towards the fine shops and the elegant hats on display and all of the refineries, that uh, the refinement, that is, that comes with being in America's most prosperous city. In 1788, um, her father uh, had some bad business dealings, and he had to uh, uh, file for bankruptcy. He could no longer pay mm -hmm. for his debts, and uh, because of the way that all of that went down, he was actually expelled from the Quaker religion. Uh, this had a profound impact on him. Uh, he really just started drinking himself to an early grave and mm -hmm. uh, would just uh, he, he barely even got out of bed mm -hmm. um, 
this forced her mother to actually open up a boarding house uh, to take in travelers just so that they could make ends meet. Um, prior to uh, her father's death, uh, he arranged for her to be married to a, a young lawyer uh, named John Todd. Uh, and uh, so in 1790, uh, she married Todd. Uh, they would have two sons together, uh, John and William. Uh, but tragedy would also strike this home. Uh, in 1793, mm. there was a horrible yellow fever epidemic that ravaged uh, Philadelphia. Uh, over 5,000 people died in less than four mm. months uh, from yellow fever. Um, the uh, disease first affected Todd's uh, mother, and father, they passed away. Then Todd uh, contracted yellow fever, and their infant son William contracted uh, yellow fever, and oh, they both no. passed away. Uh, following uh, the passing of her husband, um, Dolly had to actually fight in the courts to uh, receive what was in uh, Todd's will for her. Uh, Todd's brother tried to get all of the funds for himself and tried mm. to uh, take the child as well. And <gasps> so uh, she uh, fought into the courts to have custody of her child, John, and uh, to uh, have the uh, money which was appropriate to her in uh, the will. Mm. Uh, it by this time, she was uh, in her uh, early 20s. She was a, a widow, and she became one of the most eligible bachelorettes in Philadelphia. <gasps> wow. uh, she was known as one of the premier beauties. Uh, uh, one of her suitors said uh, that because of her fair complexion, her rosy cheeks, her striking black hair, uh, that she could raise the mercury in the thermometer of the heart to a fever pitch. Oh my! Uh, every day when she would leave her home, there would be several gentlemen waiting outside, waving to her wishing to court her. Um, this was such a problem with all of her Quaker friends that they uh, would actually tell her to, you need to cover your face uh, oh so my. that these gentlemen do not see you. Um, one of these gentlemen who was very taken with this uh, uh, lovely young woman uh, was James Madison. Um James Madison, by this time, had already uh, written the Constitution of the United States. Uh, the, mm -hmm. uh, he was one of the most respected lawyers and writers uh, of the Founding Fathers. Um, but he was known as a, uh, as, a, as a short man. Some people actually called him an anchovy of a man. Oh, no! Uh, he was very short. He was very serious. He was very intellectual, uh, bookish. Mm. Um, he was introverted. He always wore black. Um, mm. uh, people compared him to a, 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 a schoolmaster. Um, he was 43 years old and she was 25. Um, and he saw this ravishing young woman and was instantly captivated. Oh. This is one of the great mysteries of U.S. history is how this shy, bookish uh, man, the short man who was not uh, very masculine, was able to win the heart of this uh, uh, ravishing young lady. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he he was. Um, he, uh, well, yeah, because she had Mars and Pisces. Uh, so... Uh, he had uh, their mutual acquaintance, Aaron Burr, 
um, facilitate uh, a meeting, and uh, he was instantly smitten with her. Um, at this time, the way that courting worked, you didn't necessarily say everything that you wanted to to uh, the one that you wanted that you loved. Uh, so Madison would work through back channels. He would work through family members and cousins. Uh, one of the letters that was written uh, to Dolly uh, says that uh, this was a cousin, and James Madison had gone to the cousin and told her uh, how he truly felt about Dolly. Uh, and the cousin wrote to Dolly saying, uh, he thinks about you uh, so much during the day that he has lost all of his time. Oh, At- no. At night, he dreams of you and starts in his sleep, calling on you to relieve his flame before he is consumed by the fire. Oh, my. Uh, So uh, the feeling was a mutual and uh, it only took four months. And then uh, they were uh, married in her sister's house in Virginia in uh, 1794. Uh, And uh, so... uh, at this time, James Madison was uh, a member of the House of Representatives, um, but uh, in the next election, uh, John Adams and the Federalists would come into power. Uh, James Madison was with the Democratic Republicans, was aligned with Jefferson. They were out of power, so uh, they went back to uh, the plantation in Virginia, uh, Montpelier. Uh, and this was, again, a, a plantation where James Madison uh he exclusively used enslaved people to work all of the crops and do all of the serving on this plantation. Uh, they lived there for a few years, um, but uh, Thomas Jefferson would be elected president and uh, would be inaugurated in 1801, and Jefferson would ask his uh, friend and confidant James Madison to serve as his secretary of state. Uh, and... Uh, Jefferson was the first president to spend his entire term in the newly created town of Washington, D.C. I say it's a town, but really it was a dirty swamp with a couple of buildings around it. Uh, (laughs) It it was uh, not a a very lovely place. All of the foreign dignitaries were appalled that they would have to go to this uh, dirty, uh, mosquito-ridden swamp uh, to conduct their business. Um, and Thomas Jefferson sort of liked that. He liked that he had to make these uh, dignitaries and these stuffy people um, come to this dirty little swamp town. Um, but Dolly Madison saw a vision for this town and how this town could work and how uh, uh, how to bring elegance uh, to this newly created town of Washington. Um Earlier, as I said just a few moments ago, Jefferson, uh, he was uh, what some may consider radically uh, Democratic Republican. Uh, he uh, was very upset at the way that uh, John Adams and uh, George Washington even had treated the presidency. Um, they had wanted to give some of the royal dignity to the office. They wanted, like, uh, George Washington never shook hands once he was elected president, hmm. uh, because that was beneath him. Uh, oh, my. 
and Thomas Jefferson was appalled by this, mm-hmm. uh, that he wanted the president to be just another human being, just another right. person. And yes. uh, so he included this in the way that he handled foreign dignitaries. Uh, one of the first foreign dignitaries to visit uh, the new president uh, was uh, a man named Anthony Mary, and he was uh, the from the from England. He was one of the English ambassadors. Thomas Jefferson made a point to greet the man wearing his uh, bathrobe and slippers. Oh. Okay. Uh, to show this is how we do things in America. We're not about all <laughs> oh, of the <laughs> <okay>. extravagancies <laughs> of England. Uh, we've left that old world behind. We're a much simpler people. Later that day uh, or night, uh, they were having a state dinner. And uh, Thomas Jefferson, it is uh, 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 the protocol uh, of a state dinner that the president leads the wife of the dignitary into the uh, dining room. Uh, Thomas Jefferson did not. Uh, he instead led Dolly Madison into the dining room. Interesting. A- and no one, uh, in fact, led Mrs. Mary into the dining room. And so her husband had to lead her into the dining room to take whatever seats were available. Oh, my. Uh, this was quite an insult and caused an international incident. Uh, uh-huh. The English wrote to all of the rest of the continental powers. The Spanish uh, were uh, backing up the English at how awful uh, this was that Thomas Jefferson had uh, treated uh, uh, the wife of a dignitary this way. Uh, the, it caused quite a stir, uh, and it was left to Dolly Madison to actually ease everything she was the one who went to mrs mary and Mm -hmm. started calling on her and started wooing her and started Mm -hmm. easing the tensions that there were and this is something that she did frequently throughout her husband's career is going Mm -hmm. to the wives and organizing things with the wives talking with them and getting the wives to then talk to the husbands to then get everything uh situated Mm-hmm. Uh, so this wasn't just the uh, problem with foreign dignitaries, the actual business of government in Washington. It was a uh, very uh, violent time. Uh, if you did not like what a uh, senator of the opposing party said, uh, then you might beat them on the floor of the Senate with your cane. Oh! Uh, or you might challenge them to a duel and shoot them and kill them. Oh my. Uh, so uh this got in the way of actually getting bills passed and actually getting the <laughs> uh business of government afoot. Uh and it is really uh, uh to Dolly Madison's credit that she was the one who saw Washington as a place where we can be a little bit more civil, where people who disagree with each other can still dine with each other at the end of the night. We don't have to be so separated by our political differences. We can actually mm. talk to each other as human beings and leave politics at the door. Uh, she's really the one who created this aura of civility, and uh, she uh, did so uh, with... Uh, uh, she was often picked as uh, the uh, host for Thomas Jefferson's gatherings uh, because Mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson's wife had passed away. Mm -hmm. And then she's really the one who got James Madison elected president. Mm -hmm. Uh, There wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't necessarily uh, 
for sure that James Madison would be the successor in the Democratic Republican Party. Um, but she was the one who went to all the wives and went to all of the Federalist wives and went to even the people who disagreed with James Madison and got the support for him to be nominated and then elected uh, the fourth president of the United States in 1808. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, uh, James Madison's opponent, uh, uh, Thomas Pickney, said uh, that I might have had a chance if I was just running against Mr. Madison, but I was <laughs> I was running against Mr. and Mrs. Madison. Uh, so uh, she saw the White House as this place where everyone could uh, break bread and uh, uh, actually talk to each other and be civil with each other. Uh, People who uh, had said bad things about the president, uh, and they said very bad things. These uh, People think that because things happened 300 years ago that uh, they didn't say horrible things, but it's much worse than could ever be on Twitter today. They called each other uh, <laughs> whoremongerers and hermaphrodites oh. and oh, no. uh, just the worst of the worst things. And those oh, people who my. would say those things, she would invite to the White House and usher them to a dark corner of the room where her husband, who hated parties, would be in the very corner of the room and introduced them to her husband, and uh-huh. after actually meeting each other and talking to each other, they didn't say such bad things about each other anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, the, the, the White House, this executive mansion, people weren't exactly sure uh, how it was supposed to be decorated. Um, Thomas Jefferson was the first president to actually start his presidency in the White House, mm-hmm. and uh, he furnished it with all of his own furniture. He just brought ah. everything from Monticello in, and then he took it back with him. Uh, right. <laughs> so uh, I- instead of treating this like a studio apartment, um, Dolly Madison wanted to see the legacy of this executive mansion. And so she worked with the architect of the whole town of Washington, uh, Ben uh, Latrobe, uh, to design uh, the furniture and the furnishings and the drapes of the White House. And uh, she knew that it was a careful balance. Again, not wanting to be European, not wanting to be aristocratic, um, but not wanting to be too simple uh, either. And so uh, she chose uh, motifs uh, from uh, Greek and Roman uh, furniture uh, to show that um, the United States were the inheritors of the uh, uh, Republican ideas. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, she loved having very uh, stark, bold colors, uh, red velvet drapes, uh, which uh, Latrobe did not want at all. Uh, he thought that was way too gaudy, way too extravagant. Um, but she was the first lady, and so she was going to get red velvet curtains. Uh, and uh, the placement of George Washington's portrait was also very important uh, in uh, the uh, decorations of the executive mansion. Uh, so, and, uh, these parties that she would hold in the White House with all of her friends and 
enemies and the wives and everyone. Uh, so many people would come that they would actually be called squeezes um, because mm-hmm. you'd be oh shoulder my. to shoulder with these people. And she would uh, be the consummate hostess going from uh, person to person, making sure everything was okay and uh, uh, asking how their families were and uh, making them truly feel that the first lady of the United States cared uh, about them individually. And uh, the, it, it was it truly did a lot to try and uh, ease tensions in Washington. Also, uh, she's really credited with uh, 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 the popularity of ice cream. Uh, Thomas Jefferson did very much like ice cream, uh, but Dolly Madison made sure to serve ice cream at nearly every um, uh, social occasion. And her favorite flavor of ice cream was oyster. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so because of all of her working, uh, uh, the, the back channels of diplomacy, uh, James Madison was elected to a second term in 1812. Um, but things started to, uh, the tensions between the United States and Great Britain really started to rise again during this time. Uh, Great Britain was involved in, uh, fighting Napoleon and they needed, uh, ships and they needed uh, sailors in order to do that. And uh, so they just took ours. Uh, They would uh, find uh, United States ships and they would board them and they would kidnap our sailors and make them be British ones. Okay. Uh, We were not too happy about that. No. Uh, And so in June of 1812, uh, we declared war on Great Britain. Uh, this was, uh, again, the most powerful army and navy on the face of the planet, and, uh, we, uh, were not, uh, <laughs> very much not so. Um, but what was great was that, uh, they were very busy still fighting Napoleon, uh, until they won. And then they decided that they were going to come and teach us a lesson. And so, okay. uh, the British arrived and they, uh, made their, uh, uh siege of Fort McHenry. That is where we get our, uh, Star Spangled Banner from. And then mm-hmm. they marched up the, uh, or sailed up the Potomac and, uh, came to Washington, D.C. And, uh, it is at that time that James Madison, uh, became the only president in United States history to personally lead troops into battle, uh, mm-hmm. in the defense of Washington. Uh, it was a fiasco and they all had to run away uh and then so the uh the british uh marched promptly onto washington dc uh Mm -hmm. they were uh coming uh towards the white house they had sent word that uh or somehow word got to dolly madison uh to leave and she did not want to leave without her husband Mm -hmm. um but it it soon became evident that she needed to leave as quickly as possible. She, of course, knowing uh, what these symbols meant, she didn't want one one part of the White House to be um, taken to London and paraded down the streets of London as a trophy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, she made sure that the silver and the china and certain uh, uh, parts uh, of the White House were secure. One of the most important things was the portrait of George Washington. Um, she definitely did not want this portrait to be paraded down the streets of London as a trophy. Yes. Uh, she would not leave the White House until it was taken. They tried to unscrew the uh, frame from the uh, – it was screwed into the plaster of the house, uh, and that was taking too long. And so she ordered the uh, frame to be broken, and the mm-hmm. canvas rolled up, and it mm-hmm. was uh, taken away by wagon. 
And only after it was safely taken away did she then leave herself. Uh, the British were just uh, moments behind. Uh, they came into the White House and they saw that dinner was on the table uh, because they were planning to have dinner that night. Uh, mm-hmm. So the British officers treated themselves to dinner in the executive mansion. They toasted mm-hmm. uh, Dolly Madison. Uh, uh-huh. After they finished their dinner, uh, they then burned the White House. Yes, they did. And uh, burned uh, many of the buildings in Washington. Um, What is really interesting is that uh, a storm came uh, just a few minutes into the burning of all this, and it deluged rain for over two hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of... uh, A significant portion of of the fire was taken out by rain. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, so there was still a little bit of a town uh, left uh, after uh, the burning. Um, but it was still significant enough damage that there were lots of uh, congressmen and senators who didn't want to make their capital out of that dirty swamp anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted to go back to Philadelphia where everything was mm-hmm. nice and maybe they could find a lady that looked like Dolly Madison. Oh. Uh, so, in fact, one of the first votes uh, to say w- what would happen to the Capitol was overwhelmingly, let's go to Philadelphia. <laughs> um, but Dolly Madison is the one who really campaigned for that. That would be the ultimate victory for the British, is that the British burned our town and we didn't have a town anymore. And that was no mm-hmm. longer our capital. We have to rebuild. We have mm-hmm. to make Washington uh, our capital. And she won out. And Washington mm-hmm. remains the uh, capital of our nation to this day Mm -hmm. uh things were rebuilt all of that wonderful furniture that she uh had manufactured she made sure that the furniture was manufactured by american uh makers she didn't want Mm -hmm. europeans making the furniture in the white house that was all burned Uh, so she then had to go through and do all that process all over again which she did and uh, uh, there are many items uh, of the White House that are there today because of her. Um, following the war, uh, the the United States still existed as a country. Uh, there is uh, many people can debate whether uh, we actually won or lost, but the fact that we were still around kind of meant that we won. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, we uh, th- this enters our what is called the era of good feelings, uh, and uh, so there wasn't a lot of political strife. In fact, not that many people claimed to be Federalists anymore. Everyone was of the same political party, which was James Madison's party, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that era of good feelings. Uh, Uh, I would even maybe even say all of it has to do with Dolly Madison and the Uh way that uh, she got the leaders to actually talk to each other and socialize with each other and treat each other like human beings. Uh, mm-hmm. After uh, the second term, James Madison followed the precedent and did not seek another term, went back to Montpelier. Um, during this time, the her the the surviving child that she had uh, from her uh, first marriage, uh, John, uh, he um, became a, a bit of a, a troublemaker. Um, he didn't have a lot of guidance mm. growing up, and uh, he didn't really like schooling, uh, and he liked gambling and women much more. Uh, so uh, he started to spend mm. all of the money. Uh, and, 
he would constantly be asking his mother and stepfather uh, for more money uh, so that he could continue his gambling. And uh, at one point, he was, uh, quote unquote, studying French uh, from a woman who teaches gentlemen French. Um, you can make that out of it as you will. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the financial situation became so dire that when James Madison passed away, it was really only a matter of, uh, of years before uh, Dolly would have to start selling off pieces of Montpelier. Uh-oh. Uh, in order to, uh, and, and at one point she actually gave her, her son control of the finances and he sold furniture and sold all sorts of things to continue his habits um eventually so many pieces of the plantation were sold off hundreds of acres here hundreds of acres there and she was still in debt uh that she did have to uh, sell uh, the plantation she sold the hundreds of enslaved people uh some of them uh, were actually ripped apart from their families. Um, there was uh, one uh, enslaved man, uh, Paul Jennings, uh, who uh, was instrumental in making sure that she was safe during uh, the uh, British invasion in 1814. Um, she wanted to give him his freedom, had promised it to him, but was in a financial situation where she no longer uh, wanted to give him his freedom. Uh, so uh, he uh, uh, was then sold uh, to another man uh, for $200. This is very sad. It's very sad all the way around. Uh, eventually, uh, Jennings uh, managed to, to purchase his own freedom. And uh, even though he had been promised his freedom and then that was taken away uh, from uh, Dolly Madison, um he went back to see her and found her in a state of such abject uh, poverty that this man who used to be her slave would feel it necessary to bring food and things to her um, to take care of her um, in her old age. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, But the the last leg of her life was still yet to come. Uh, from this state of uh, poverty, uh, she was able to, uh, a- and friends uh, were able to uh, get the uh, government to pay money to her for James Madison's papers so that they could be housed in the Library of Congress. And uh, then she moved back to Washington. After uh, 20 years of being away, uh, she sort of picked up where she left off and uh, was uh, an organizer of uh, social events once again. Uh, She was one of the uh, great uh, citizens of Washington. Uh, She was a connection to the Founding Fathers. Uh, She had tea with Mr. and Mrs. Washington. And this is now, we're two or three generations removed um, from the actual 
founding. We're now in the 1840s. Um, and uh, she became just as well known in Washington as she was when she was first lady. Uh, she is the first and only woman to have been given an honorary seat in Congress. Um, the seeing her importance and seeing the legacy that she was a living embodiment of was so much to uh, the uh, congressmen and senators and important uh, people in the government in Washington um, that uh, so many that people wanted to make sure that she knew how important she was. Uh, she's also one. Of, she's the first first lady to have a photograph taken of her. Uh, she was photographed at least four different times. Uh, she attended the inauguration of uh, James Polk in 1845. Um, she uh, uh, was truly uh, loved uh, by the people of uh, Washington D.C. Uh, and then, uh, she did end up passing away, uh, in 1849. And when she did, the entire town of Washington shut down, uh, during her funeral. Uh, all of the businesses stopped. Uh, nothing, uh, was going on in the halls of Congress. The whole town was draped in black, uh, in memory of, uh, this truly remarkable woman, uh, who did more for that town and for our country, uh, than many people may know of. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, I sometimes, uh, struggle or, or I, it takes me a while to figure out, you know, who are the right people to do for this podcast. And, you know, it is, you know, when you talk about first ladies, are they only memorable because they are the wives of someone great? And I would argue that especially for Mrs. Madison, uh, her husband was great because of her. Uh, and mm -hmm. our country worked um, and, and actually survived in great deal because of her efforts and what she did. And that uh, we all owe a, a great debt uh, to uh, Miss Dolly Madison. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Wow. Okay. So with all of this information, this wonderful information that you have brought forward about Dolly Madison Chandler, all the ninth house, I kept thinking, well, okay, how is this? That was her dogma. The United States of America was her dogma. Okay. That was her direction. That is where she had control, you know? her her what she what she wanted to do uh was you know be the pillar of the united states of america and i mean her being a woman this was her career correct mm -hmm. the united states was her career it fits right into the ninth house with the north node and the pluto there it also fits in there that it would have death and rebirth in that situation. One thing that's very interesting astrologically is that the United States is having their Pluto return. Now, Pluto was in Capricorn when the United States was founded. And it has been in Capricorn um, for the last almost a decade. And so it is very interesting uh, that you would choose her and that this would be the time that you choose to do her. 
uh, chart and her history. Also, that sixth house, that Jupiter in the sixth house. So Jupiter is like Bacchus um, in that, you know, her job was to entertain. Her job was to feed and provide drinks and entertainment, right? That was her job. And she did it beautifully because it's in Libra, okay? Um, her home was very dramatic, all right? Uh, the Leo is there, but also very nurturing, okay? And then that 11th house with her Mars and her Chiron being there and her um, being able to not only host all of these parties, but also, you know, come into the negotiations with the people and make sure that things were negotiated. And then you had asked me, what would she look like? And I said, well, it's very interesting that her Venus is right there at seven degrees, you know, and her, her Venus is at six and her ascendant is at seven. So that's almost like having the ascendant in the first house. So she should have been very beautiful, right? Because if you have Venus in the first house, you probably going to be really beautiful or very handsome. But all of this makes really perfect sense. And this um, sibling, this, this, the lessons with the sibling in the third house was also uh, her, um, her first husband's brother, right? So there's a lot going on here that all makes sense. And I'm sure a professional astrologer could find all of these things. And this Neptune in Virgo in the fifth house was entertaining, very organized, entertaining, right? She was to the T. She was, she had everything perfect, right? That would, that would be a really interesting aspect of Neptune in Virgo in the fifth house. It's um, very, very, because she was entertaining, right? She wasn't a performer. She was entertaining all the people. She was, she was providing the, you know, the gatherings for all of them. So, right. wow, this really makes a lot of sense. And this um, Midhaven, her career being, you know, her dogma, her, her, you know, she loved the United States of America. That's amazing. She was an amazing lady. It's unfortunate that, you know, she let her child you know, run everything into the ground. That's very sad and, and very wrong. But, you know, who knows what kind of karma they might have had. But, wow, really good choice, Chandler. Very nice. And I, I left out one of my favorite quotes uh, was uh, in a letter that uh, one of the fellow Quakers wrote to her when she was a young woman. And with the letter, she sent uh, extra handkerchiefs so that she could uh, cover up the bosom that she is uh, showing off a little bit too much to all the uh, other gentlemen. Oh, no! Well, those uh, dresses were um, somewhat revealing during that time, but I can't imagine the Quakers wore those. But, oh, I don't know. But she must have been really beautiful. Because I know the photographs are not of her from no. then. But the portraits that we have are, are very uh, striking as well. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, uh, I think uh, on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, this is uh, right on the money. This is uh, who uh, Dolly Madison was. <laughs> and I think yes. it, it, it answers a, a, a mystery that uh, many people uh, who don't know about the astrological part, uh, you know, many people wonder why 
why James Madison? How did these two t get together? And uh, she was looking for a man like James Madison. Uh, she was looking for a more cerebral and a writer and a uh, a, a, a a shyer person. Um, and maybe one day in the future we will uh, see how compatible they were. I have a pretty good feeling that they were pretty compatible. That is very interesting because her Mars, wherever a woman's Mars is and a man's Venus is, is, is what they're looking for. Okay. So you can also look at the sun and the moon and, and the opposite charts for heterosexual people. But that is, you know, she might not have known that's what she was looking for. Clearly her first marriage was arranged. So she didn't have any choice in that one. Mm -hmm. But in this situation, all these suitors and she chose him mm -hmm. and she could have had anybody. But that's the one she wanted. So, mm -hmm. you know, very interesting. And that is Mars and Pisces is very creative, a writer, a, a soft-spoken, you know. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, well, there are uh, any other things that uh, make more sense now that you know who it is? Well, with that Uranus um, conjuncting all of that Taurus that she has in her chart, things happening, you know, out of the blue in her life. I mean, being attacked, that's, you know, that's kind of a big deal, you know, and uh, uh, her, you know, making sure that all the artifacts were kept. We have those artifacts now because of her, mm -hmm. you know, but she, she would have, but this is her karma. This is the lesson she chose to learn. If you believe in, you know, reincarnation and you believe that we have soul contracts and we come back so that we can continue to learn our lessons. This is what she chose to learn. This is what she chose to do in this lifetime. And I think she did it really well. You know, she was very good at it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, that just about wraps things up for us. I want to uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, listening to uh, today's episode. And uh, if you'd like to uh, reach out, uh, we're available on socials. Uh, we have all that information in the uh, description of the episode. Uh, also included in the description is a link to our PayPal account. Uh, if you are uh, feeling generous, uh, any little bit helps us uh, with uh, getting better equipment and growing the show, making a better quality show for all of you. Uh, I'd like to, uh, again, uh, uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is always going to be just fine. It always works out. So I also want to say thank you. And thank you so much to all of our listeners. We love you so much. You guys are so awesome. We love to hear from you. We love to hear your comments or your, you know, just your exclamations about who Chandler chose. And we did that chart and it was really pretty on the nose. So you guys, if you, if you can't do anything else or you don't have time, if you'll just share the link with people in your social media, that would be so awesome. And we really appreciate everything. We appreciate you guys being here, listening to the whole show. We just think you guys are awesome. You've been with us since the beginning. So, and the more, the, if you're a new listener, we love you too. Please stay with us and let us know what you think about the show. Yes, uh, thank you so very much. Bye-bye. Bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 